We continue our series on the kingdom of God, and first and foremost, as far as what Jesus Christ talked about more than anything else, it was the kingdom of God, and we will uh, continue that series today, and I invite you uh, to take a look at this passage that we're going to look at today. It's found in Matthew chapter 13. And Don Meister shared last week about uh, Christ sharing and and spreading his good news that the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the kingdom to everybody, and it fell on some good soil, it fell on some not so good soil. And so this is at the tail end or right after that particular event as as Christ was sharing that. And, And what's important to remember is as we talk about this kingdom of God, it's, remember, it is not a place. It is about God's reign in our lives and through our lives. And so with that being said, Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we would ask first and foremost that we would understand more fully what it means to be your people and that we would bring glory to you, Lord Jesus. And we would ask your Holy Spirit to open our eyes that we could see open our ears that we can hear, open our minds that we can understand, and open our hearts that we would be transformed to go all in for you, for what you desire to do in our lives and through our lives. And Lord Jesus, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, no one would hear anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear, that you need them to hear, that you want them to hear, and that lives would be transformed. Lord Jesus, Use this time, and may you receive all glory. In your name we pray, amen. So as we continue this Kingdom of God series, and you'll notice in in Matthew, anytime that we're talking about the Kingdom of God, Matthew uses the word Kingdom of Heaven because of the, he's writing to Jewish people and, and the name of God is, is something that we're not going to just simply flippantly talk about. And so, but it's the same thing that, that he's driving at here, the reign of God. And, and so as I was working on the message this week, this question came to mind. Well, what's the big deal about the kingdom of God? Why, why would Jesus talk so much about this, and, and what does it look like? And as I, as I was listening to the different messages that I've preached over the last few weeks, I, I haven't answered that question. Why is the kingdom of God first and foremost? Why does it say in Matthew chapter 6, seek first God's kingdom, seek first God's reign, and everything else will be added to you? Why is he so adamant about this? And so I want to take a few moments and talk about just what it is, because we live in a crazy time right now, and it leads us to ask, well, now, what time is it? What time is it, John? Because we look all around, and you continue to tell us about the importance of following after God, yet we live in a world that continues to spin out of control. It doesn't really make a lot of sense about this kingdom, about this reign that you keep talking about. 
So remember, over the last few weeks, we've been working through this diagram, and we're gonna, I'm going to give you a refresher course now. We started with, with this, and, and, and we do live, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. So creation happens, and then humanity decided to take things, and, and, we, and we pretty much said, God, we really don't need you running the show. And so things began to get crazy, and we come to this age. I read for you a passage from 1 Peter a couple weeks ago, and everybody in here was talking about, well, that sounds like today, and then I told you it was from 1 Peter, and you said, wow. Things continue to be crazy. Things continue to be chaotic. Yet, we'll go to the next one, Jesus Christ invades this age. Jesus Christ invades this age. His reign comes. He doesn't wait for us to get cleaned up. He doesn't wait for us to figure it all out. He comes into this age. So whether you have a family situation that's fantastic or not fantastic, whether you're having a great day, a great season, everything's clicking, or things are really bad, and you have made horrific decisions, Jesus Christ isn't going to wait for you to get better. He invades. He's willing to get involved in that. His reign does not sit there and say, I can't enter here. His reign enters, his, his desire for us to experience him comes in and invades that time. So where are we now? Where are we now? Well, Jesus Christ came, and we'll go to the next one. We live in what is called the in-between times. Because things are still crazy, yet there are times as we look around, we see these amazing things happen. The fact that Ned and Yord are in a country that just 30 years ago was an atheistic country says that God is still doing great things. And so the age to come is when Jesus Christ comes back and sets everything straight. So in between that time, and that's what we're in, we're in, we're in the in-between times. It's beautiful, yet it is chaotic. There are times in our lives where we say, wow, this is awesome. This is fantastic. Look at what Christ is doing. Look at what God is doing. And there are other times when we're saying, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you in the midst of terrorist attacks? Where are you in the midst of my family breaking down? Where are you in the midst of me struggling through health issues or whatever the case may be in your life? Where are you? We live in this chaotic yet beautiful time where Jesus Christ is involved and there are times when we see this and there are other times that we don't. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans 14 and we're going to come back to Matthew 13 here in just a few moments. But in Romans 14, in chapter 14, Paul's talking about these things, and, and oftentimes we want to sit there and say, well, the kingdom of God is a bunch of rules. It, it means doing this. It means doing that. Yet Paul says that's not what it's about. It's not about a bunch of rules. What it's about is about his reign coming in. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, he gives us a definition of what this is all about. He says this, for the kingdom of God, or the reign of God, is not a matter of eating and drinking, and you could follow that with, or a bunch of other rules, but it is one of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is a powerful combination. Righteousness, being right, having somebody who gives you the right decision all the time. 
What an incredible peace that is. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But it's a kingdom of righteousness. His reign is the right reign. Why? Because he can see everything and he knows what needs to be done. Paul then says, not only is it a kingdom of righteousness, but it is also a kingdom. His reign brings peace. Peace. Paul says this, that may the peace of Christ transform you. May it, may, may it so, so, so hit your life that no matter what's going on, you will experience his peace. His reign, his rule is one that brings peace. And trust me, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say what I'm about to say. We live in very unpeaceful times. We live in a toxic time, a divisive time where people are more about making the problem worse than they are about making it better. And Jesus, or, or Paul is saying here, the reign of God means a reign of peace. And then lastly, he says it's one of joy. It's one of joy. Joy is not about happiness. Joy is about knowing that Jesus Christ, knowing that God is with us no matter what comes our way. We can experience joy. Some of you over the course of the last year have had health issues that have taken the wind out of your sails. My prayer for you has been, and many other people in the church that are praying for you, our prayer has been that you would experience God's joy in the midst of what's going on in your life. Righteousness, peace, joy. That is a powerful combination. So when Jesus Christ says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, what he's talking about is he's talking about that type of rule, that type of experience. And I got to tell you, that's the type of kingdom, that's the type of reign, that's the type of rule that I'm into. That's the type of rule and reign that we desperately need. We don't need more might up and, and I'm more powerful than you. I can shout louder than you and I will shout you down. What we need is a, is a reign that involves the right things, that involves peace, that involves joy. It's a countercultural movement. It's not about rules. It's about God bringing into our lives righteousness, peace, and joy so that this world can say, that's the God I long for. So I ask you this question. What would you do to have this powerful combination at work in your life? Righteousness, peace, joy. What would you do? Well, Paul, well, Jesus sort of gives us an idea of what some people did as he's sharing these parables back in Matthew chapter 13. And we come to this one, and it's, it's, these are two short parables, but there's a lot there. Verse 44 of Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Jesus Christ is talking about the real field of dreams. You know the movie I'm talking about, the Kevin Costner movie, Field of Dreams, If You Build It, They Will Come. By the way, Kevin Co I can't think of a sports movie that Kevin Costner has not been in, but, uh, but anyway, this is the right field of dreams. This is a field where somebody found something and they said, I'm selling everything to get this. 
But what I want you to notice in this, in this little parable that Jesus shares, the owner of that field had a treasure in it, and he didn't even know it. He was so busy with his field and making sure that his workers took care of his field that he didn't even realize there was a treasure there. This is a case study that ignorance is not bliss. Not realizing what you have when it's right there is never a good thing. In Fayetteville, North Carolina, back in 1799, Conrad Reed, a 12-year-old boy, decided that he was going to skip school one day, and he went out to the back of, of, the, of his family's property, and there was a creek running through it. And, in, and instead of going to school, he decided he was going to play in the creek, and he made himself a spear. And so as, as Conrad was, made this spear, Conrad made this spear. He was going to try and spear fish. So he takes this homemade spear. He throws it at this fish, trying to spear it. He misses the fish, and it glances up against and glances and lands next to this rock. He found it fascinating. This rock had a goldish gleam to it. And so Conrad picked up this rock and took it home. His dad said, why aren't you in school? And he said, well, I didn't want to go. I, I would imagine, and I didn't, the story doesn't say that he got grounded or anything like that. If there are children here, please go to school. We're not advocating this, okay? So, but, uh, but please go to school. But his dad looked at the rock and said, well, that's really nice. It's really nice. And so he took the rock and he put it on the front porch. Over the course of time, over the course of the next few months, people would walk in and out, and, and uh, his dad one day just said, I'm just going to take this rock to a jeweler and uh, have him take a look. Maybe it's, maybe it's something significant. So he takes the rock to a jeweler, and the jeweler looks at the rock and realized that this wasn't just some rock. This was a 17-pound nugget of gold. So John, his father, was so excited. He just said, this is a rock. What would you give me for it? And the jeweler said, well, I'll give you whatever you want for it. And John said, well, I'll take $3.50. So the jeweler said, all right, here's $3.50. So John walks away ecstatic that he's made $3.50. The jeweler is now in possession of a 17-pound nugget of gold. The jeweler sold that nugget of gold for quite a bit more than $3.50. Today's value of that 17-pound nugget of gold would be $353,000, why do I do this every time? $353,600, there we go, I did it. I know how to speak, I know how to say numbers. $350,000, we'll just leave it at that. $3.50, it's worth $350,000. Ignorance is not bliss. John found out what the jeweler had done. They kept farming that field, but every single day, 
they went looking for gold. Later that year, John and his family discovered a 28-pound nugget of gold, which is worth close to $600,000. Ignorance. He could have had over a million dollars, but he was ignorant of what he had. This field owner had treasure in his field and didn't know it. Had no idea. And so apparently in this field, the people are working and, and they're taking care of the field. And Jesus says this, when a man found it, when he found this treasure hidden in the field, notice what he did. He hid it again. He hit it again. It would be very tempting for this worker to just simply say, that's oh, no big deal. I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. But when God's kingdom, when God's reign gets involved, it interrupts what I call the quote. And the quote is this. If you always do what you have always done, you will always get what you've always gotten. That's a quote from Henry Ford. And oftentimes we live our lives that way. We always do what we've always done and we always receive what we always get if that makes any sense. This worker could have said, oh, that's nice, and kept right on going. But he discovered this hidden treasure. He discovered something that was so monumental. What did he do? His life was interrupted. God's reign, God's rule, desires to interrupt our normal lives. It decides to get involved. It decides to say, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to give you peace, joy, righteousness. I'm going to give you love. I'm going to give you all these things. His reign desires to interrupt our lives. The unfortunate reality is this, that so often we just go from day to day to day to day, and we're not paying attention. God is on the move, and he says, I'm right here. I want to rescue you. So what does this individual do? He hides it, and then he, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. He went all in. He went all in because God's reign, because this incredible treasure that he saw was so much more than he could ever ask for or imagine. He had no other options. And trust me on this, you don't think him selling everything and buying this didn't raise a few eyebrows? And notice how he did it. He did it with joy. People could see something was going on. Joy, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated, yet one of the most crucial elements, characteristics that Christ followers should have. And so often, we look joyless. Christ has done a remarkable thing in our lives. Christ has rescued us. Christ has done all this, and yet we're so blasé about it. He walked away with joy and sells everything. That type of reign, that type of rule changes lives. I ask you right now, where's the joy in your life? Where's the joy in God reigning in your life, bringing about righteousness, peace, and joy? His kingdom, his reign always brings a response. 
a response that means we have to change our lives. He didn't come to bring about this reign to say, I just want everything to be copacetic and you to stay the same. He brought it because change needs to happen. Are the relationships in your life right now that need changed? Are the relationships in your life right now that need God's reign to get so involved that it brings about change for his glory, for his purpose, for his reign? And Jesus isn't done there. Then says this, verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Jesus Christ knows this to be true, that everybody's looking for something. The question is, what are you looking for? Everybody's looking for something. Always looking for something. And one of the things that's, that's difficult for us to understand, because we, in today's society, pearls, yes, they're, they're pretty, they're, they're great, but we don't realize back in Jesus' day, pearls were looked at with such great value. Like we look at diamonds and, and, and precious stones. Pearls back then had such value that the Jewish Talmud says this, that pearls are beyond price. You can't put a price on them. That's how valuable they are. The Egyptians actually worshipped pearls. The Roman emperors, to show that how much money and how vast their wealth was, the Roman emperors would do this. They would take pearls, they would take a group of pearls, they would dissolve it in vinegar and take that liquid and pour it into their wine and drink it down to show that they had enough money that they could be that wasteful with even such a precious thing as a pearl. What he's talking about here is is that these are amazing things. They're, They're beautiful. And the merchant that he's talking about, in my opinion, is about all of us. We're looking for something. We're always looking for some type of significance. We're always looking for some meaning in our lives. Some of us think that we can find meaning in our lives by being materialistic. Some of us think that the meaning in our lives is our family. Some people believe that the meaning in their lives is their job or their retirement fund or whatever the case may be. We're looking for something, and the problem is this, is that so often we settle, so often. We settle for good, not the best. Notice this merchant is looking for not just pearls, but fine pearls. Pearls are out there, but he's looking for the finest. The finest. Right now, it would take 10,000 wild oysters for you to find one pearl made. 10,000 wild oysters. We now create pearls by, by putting into the, into the oyster, we put a little speck of sand or whatever, and we manipulate the situation. And what ends up happening is that sand irritates this oyster, and it begins to do a defensive thing and begins to coat that pearl over and over again with this, what's, what's called, and I wrote it down, it, it's, it's called nacre, N-A-C-R-E. And it coats it again and again and again. To get one pearl, it takes three years. It takes three years. You want to talk about patience to get something of great value? Talk to Mark Pisoni 
about his vineyard and how long it takes from just that when you begin to do, when you begin to create a new vineyard, you don't get to enjoy those grapes the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year. Am I right on this, Mark? It takes about seven years, right? About seven years? Close, Close to it. How many years? So there you go. Four years for grapes, two more years for I love giving Mark a hard time. He's the most quiet, humble person I've ever met, and I just embarrassed him. Please forgive me for that. But, but so you heard it. So from the moment they put in that, it's going to take them four years to just get grapes. It's going to take them an additional two years to get wine. Six years. To get a pearl takes three years. This guy's looking for the right one. He's looking for a fine pearl. It doesn't happen overnight. And so what hit me as I was reading this was, if we're looking for the finest pearl, how does Christianity measure up? Is that truly the finest pearl out there? And I can tell you this with great confidence. It most certainly is. There is no one like Jesus Christ. There is no one that comes close to Jesus Christ. How does God's reign measure up compared to every other belief system that's out there? Every other belief system that's out there is all based on you doing all the work, you trying to get ahead, you trying to prove your worth, you trying to prove that you are worthy of receiving eternal life, whatever the case may be. Whatever other belief system believes is eternal life, it's all about work. Jesus Christ offers unconditional forgiveness. This last year, our world has shown us what it thinks of sin. Not that it doesn't believe that there's sin, but when people do something wrong, they pounce and they obliterate. Case in point, the college admission scandal that all of us, all of us, I don't care where you are, everybody, I, I couldn't believe the unified voice of saying, this is wrong. Everybody said it was wrong. And what happened to the two most, uh, the ones that, that get, get keep getting put in, the two celebrities, Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman, in essence, almost banished. I'm not saying what they did was right. Hear me clearly on that. But yet, Jesus Christ offers forgiveness. Not a conditional forgiveness, an unconditional forgiveness. Ned and I were having a conversation about a, a friend of his, uh, a friend of hers, his who's, who's made a decision that they're going to go with a different belief system in their life. And part of that belief system was that they needed to sit down with somebody and get what they were going to do. They were going to sit down with somebody and this person was asking them one question. I need you to confess every sin you've committed in your life. Right? I don't know what you've done. You don't know what I've done in my past. But what I can tell you is this, is that the reason why Jesus Christ is the finest pearl out there is because 
Jesus Christ has forgiven you. He's forgiven me when we say, I need you to forgive me. We would be here for years if I were to tell you all, the, all my sinfulness. Jesus Christ forgives. And it's unconditional. I've talked to enough of you to know this. Many of you are carrying around a whole lot of junk that Jesus Christ has forgiven you for. He was looking, this merchant is looking for the finest of pearls. And then it says this, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. He did it because there was nothing greater. There was nothing greater in all of life than his reign. His kingdom is incomparable. You can look at every other belief system and if, if you want to do that, go ahead. And I will say this, at the end of the day, you will come back to this, that there's something different about Jesus Christ. There just is. There just is. In Titus chapter 2, we read these words starting at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We have been purchased. We have been paid for. The kingdom of God came with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price. Jesus Christ, the one who went all in. Jesus Christ is the one who said, this is a hidden treasure. I will pay the price. These people are my treasure. These people are the ones that I'm came to rescue. These people are the ones that are the finest pearl that I want to rescue. I will go all in to rescue them. Jesus Christ makes his kingdom, makes his kingdom a reality in our lives today so that we can live a life of righteousness righteousness, peace, and joy that we can experience forgiveness, that we can experience unconditional love. That's what Paul's driving at when he talks to Titus here. We have been redeemed because the reign of God reigns completely in Jesus Christ. And he says to you and me today, are you willing to go all in for his reign in your life that hidden treasure that finest pearl are you willing to go all in because Jesus Christ went all in and he invites us to go all in for him to allow him to reign in our life not tomorrow but right now Haley and Braden McVeigh said yes to that and their lives are forever changed I invite you to allow the reign of Christ, the reign of God, to enter into your life so that you can experience what he's talking about, this great life of his reign completely every day. Father, we pray now. We pray now as we've been here for a while, we would ask that you would give us an understanding as we contemplate these words, that you would give us an understanding of what it means 
to have your reign in our lives. Lord, there are things that we hold back and we say that we're not going to give those up, and yet they cause us great harm. And so we would ask that your reign would continue to open our eyes to the reality that we desperately need you. Have mercy on us for our ignorance. Have mercy on us for holding back. And Lord Jesus, we say thank you that you didn't hold back, that you gave your all so that we could be forgiven. Move in our lives to a place where we say yes to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing a couple more songs like we normally do, and it's my prayer, it's my hope as we sing these songs that we would sing them with great, great joy, knowing that God is good, that he takes care of us, that he's always looking out for us. So I invite you to stand as we sing these next two songs.